Thank you for listening to this week's message from Haven Baptist Church. Our prayer is that God would use what you are about to hear to help you grow into a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ. If you play golf, you know there's something that we amateurs call a mulligan. A mulligan is when you uh, play the shot over and you don't count the first one you played. And down south, we would say, well, it was no count to begin with. So you play it over and you don't count it. Now, that's not part of the formal rules of golf. But who plays by those anyhow, right? If you play, who, who plays by those anyhow? We all sometimes want to do over. Yet many times in this world, it's really hard to start over. Sometimes it's impossible, it seems, to start over. But you know, Christianity is about starting over. It's about a fresh start, a new life. It's about restarting with God. And restarting as as God allows you to restart living again in him. When people come to faith in Jesus, the Bible teaches that we have a new start. And all through the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible teaches this reality about a new start. Jesus in John chapter 3, speaking to Nicodemus in John 3, 3 said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He would tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. You cannot see God's kingdom without a new birth, a new life, being born again. Peter, later on, writing to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1, took this same theme and he spoke to them saying, having been born again. These people were Christians and he says, you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, that's human seed, not of human ability, but of incorruptible seed, something that cannot corrupt that is the word of God which lives and abides forever aren't you glad that being born again is not of something of man but it's of God it's it's something that can never perish and never fade it can never tarnish because it's not corruptible Colossians 3 Paul put it this way and have put on the new man here's his here's his uh, metaphor the new man the new person who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him When we get saved, we put on a new man, a new person. Even in the Old Testament, David, they were just talking about David. In one of his great times of prayer and failure, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, do something new in me. I need something new in me. And you will never have it until you recognize it. But if you recognize you need it, God is able to provide it. This morning we're going to talk about a new life. What it means to have a new life in Christ. This morning, if you're physically able, stand with me as we read the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. I have verse 12 there, but we're going to begin reading in verse 14. Listen to these words. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, speak to us today. And that person who's in this place today, who's lost hope in life, let them know that you're with them and there's a possibility for new life. That person who may have hit the wall in their life, they've, they've made so many bad decisions, they've made so many mistakes, and they think maybe everyone around them has given up on them, but Father, let them know you haven't, and there's a hope for new life. Speak to us today, Lord. Show us where we stand with you. If there's one here today that doesn't have the new life in Christ, today may, may today be the day. If there's someone today who needs to come back to you today, Today may be the day, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. New life. We want to start by talking about the possibility of new life. Is it possible for a person to have a new life? Well, yes, the Bible, as I told you, clearly teaches that it is. But it's not possible because uh, we will it or because we think we can or because we do the best we can. You know, we have all sorts of self-help methods and we have all sorts of improvement methods. We're going to improve ourselves and I'm all for that. But new life doesn't come by self-help. It doesn't come by self-improvement you can't go get a course by some self-help person or some life coach you have to come to God and God says it's possible as a matter of fact Jesus in Luke 18 27 said the things which are impossible with men are possible with God you may be at a place in your life, in your life you feel like it's impossible for you to fix it but I've got good news hallelujah you're in the right place Because when you realize you can't fix it, there's one who says, I still can fix it. Praise God. Well, it's possible through Jesus. Why? Well, the Bible tells us right here some reasons why it's possible to have a new life. One, he died that we might die. He died, now listen to this, he died that we might die. Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Now, what is this talking about, all died? Well, Jesus' physical death made it possible for you and I to have a death to our sin and to ourself. The death he's talking about here is not physical death. He's talking about the fact that Jesus died for our sins so we could die to our sins. He died and took on death so you and I could die to our selfish sinfulness, our own life without God, our living our way, going our way, doing our own thing. Like the Bible says in Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray and you and I can die to that. As a matter of fact, we read earlier when Paul talked about the new man. Well, earlier in that, he had talked about the old man. And for you to get the new man, guess what? The old man has to die. The old man has to go for the new man to come in. You have to die to self so you can live to God. Jesus in Luke 9, 23 said it this way. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He says, deny yourself and then take, put it, take up a cross. What was the, you took up a cross. Remember Jesus took up his cross and carried it. You know what that meant he was going to? He was going to his death. 
every day I need to take up a cross so this old me can die. Because this old me will get in the way of walking with God. The biggest hindrance I ever had in walking with Jesus is me, myself, and I. And me, myself, and I has to take up the cross so I can know Jesus. Romans 6, Paul said it this way, knowing this, that our old man, there he is, the old man, uh, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That old man is to die that I do not have to live a slave to my sin any longer. And we have to realize that we are the biggest problem we have. This past week, I, uh, many of you know I went back to Alabama to see my, help my dad's, uh, my brothers were getting my dad's house ready to sell. And I told this story on Facebook. We, we came back to the house where we were staying at my dad's house on Thursday evening. And it was dark and we had been working. We'd worked Wednesday. We'd worked Thursday. We had a, uh, we had a dumpster full of stuff we'd taken out of his sheds and different things. And when we get there, there's this man, this young man in the dumpster. He's got a light on his forehead like a miner. I thought, hey, I, I don't think there's any gold there. But if it is, I'm claiming it because I put it in there. No. So anyway, he comes out. He starts, he starts talking to us. I apologize. I live next door. I, I was going to ask you if I could do this, but you weren't home. And so I was just looking through, see if I can get some scrap for metal. And he was telling me that, some metal scrap. And he was telling me that he's out of work and he's got a little baby. And, uh, uh, and he's trying to take care of his family. And I just said, that's fine. Go ahead, man. Whatever. But the Lord impressed upon my heart. Talk to him. So the Lord said, talk to him. And uh, uh, about me. I'm like, okay, how do I do that, Lord? That's what I asked him. We're having, you know, we don't often have these conversations where I get answers back really quickly. But we're on the spot here. So God's like, okay. So I asked him, uh, how do I talk to him? I thought for a second, then it was impressed upon my mind. Tell him your testimony. So I, I, when he got through doing around, we were talking. And I listened to him about his family. And then I told him, I said, I shared my testimony with him. His story and my story is very f- familiar. I'm 20, I was 23. My life was a wreck. I was living for myself, about to lose my family. He's 25. He's about to lose his family. He's got uh, issues with his job and don't have a job and all this stuff. And, uh, and uh, in my testimony, I shared with him, you know, one of the things God impressed upon me when I got saved was my problem wasn't my wife. My problem wasn't my job. Our problem wasn't we didn't have enough money. Our problem wasn't this or that. What God told me that night was my problem was me. I was living my life the way I wanted to. And this is what had become of it. This is where I was because of the choices and decisions I had made. There was nobody else on the hook for this but me. See, when you and I get new life... The way we get it is to realize there's no one on the hook for this life but me. And I'm tired of the old life. There's no one else made me do this. No one else made the choices and decisions for me. And now I'm responsible. That night I shared that with him. I shared the gospel with him and that young man Ian prayed to receive Jesus standing out in my dad's driveway. He come to that understanding that he was the problem. But Jesus was the answer. He died that we might die to our old self. But he also died that we might live a new life. Verse 15, he says, Paul says this. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. But for him who died for them and rose again. Now get this verse. That he died that those who live, who now live in Christ, 
should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You see, Christianity is not the old life improved. Christianity is not a better old life. It's a completely new life. See, some of us want a better old life. We still want to be the center. We still want to be in charge. We still want to be on the throne. We still want to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. But we want God to forgive us of our past failures and bless us in our future endeavors. And that's what we think Christianity is. And quite frankly, that's what American churches have sold to us. But I'm just telling you, that is a lie from hell. God doesn't want you to live a better old life. God wants you to surrender your life to him and that you might live for him and know him and live through him and in him and for him and with him one day when you die because you've known him in this life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. Look at this. I have been crucified with Christ. There's that old man dying again. Have you been crucified with Christ? It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a death, I have to die. There's a life, I have to live. Jesus' life in me. I don't live by by the flesh anymore. I live by faith now. I live by faith. Not faith, I'm believing God can do a miracle, but faith, I believe God can guide me every step of my way through life. And I'm going to obey what he says, obey, and believe. Believe what he says, obey, uh, believe. That's faith. I've been crucified. Now I live for him, I live in him, and I live through him. But there's a possibility of a new life, not just because he died so I could die and he lived so I could live, but he took my sins so I could take his righteousness. See, sometimes people think, well, I got saved but I really messed up and I don't think I'm going to get to go to heaven because I really messed up. Well, listen, about five minutes after you got saved, you probably had sinned enough already. If God wanted to send you to hell, he could. Why? Because God's perfect. God's not almost perfect. God's not, you know, three quarters of the way holy. God's completely holy. So what God did when he saved you so you couldn't uh, not be saved As he took your sin on the cross, and when you believed, he gave the righteousness of Jesus to you. That's what this text says. Paul says down in verse 19, just look at it very quickly. We're going to come back to it. But look what happens. Verse 19 says, that is, that God was in Christ. In Christ, God was at work. And what was he doing? Reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing, not counting their trespasses to them. When you get saved, God is not counting your trespasses to you anymore. Instead, look what he's doing in verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What does that mean? That means when Jesus died on the cross, he who knew no sin took on all of our sin. Every bit of our sin. Even the sins you had not committed. How could he do it? Because you weren't even alive yet. So he had to take the sins you hadn't committed. He covered Jesus in our sins. You remember the story when Jesus was on the cross? What happened? Jesus is hanging there on the cross. And the Bible tells us this in Matthew 27. Listen to these verses. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. What time was that? That was 12 noon till 3 o'clock. 
That's pretty much high time for the sun, isn't it? High noon. For three hours in the middle of the day, the land went completely dark. Why? Because Jesus was taking on the darkness of our sin. And all of heaven was responding. Jesus, who had never been separated from the Father at all, was now being covered in your sin. And the sin that separated you from God, at that moment, Jesus took it so he could experience your separation. The next verse says this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabathania. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes Psalms 22 there. It was a prophetic fulfillment. In that moment, in that moment of his death, when he yielded up his spirit, he was taking our sin, which meant our separation from God. Jesus was separated for the Father. He took our sins on the cross so you and I could take his righteousness by faith. So when you and I believed... You say, well, I I got saved, but I had never done anything for God up to that moment. That's right. So uh, I had never given anything. I'd never told anyone about Jesus. Maybe you're like me. I mean, earlier that day, I was most likely, I was blaspheming God. But I got saved that night. And in that moment, God gave me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I told you this a couple of weeks ago. The moment you die, The only thing you need, the only thing you need is righteousness. This is why we leave everything behind. You don't need those people. You don't need those possessions. You don't need those pleasures. You don't need those treasures. They'll do you no good standing before God. What you need in that moment is righteousness. Now you're going to stand before God and you're either going to count on the righteousness of Jesus or you're going to count on your own righteousness. You're going to hope that you've done enough and been good enough. And God will say, well, yeah. Let me give you a little insight. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. You don't have enough righteousness. Listen, if you lived the best you could live for a million years and you stood before God in one second, you'd realize that million years are worth the best you had would not be good enough. God gives you the righteousness of Christ so you can have a new life. He gives you uh, a new heart and a new life so you and I, it is possible that we can live a new life. But there's a second thing I want to share with you and that is the testimony of a new life. The testimony of a new life. Because listen, a new life will not go unnoticed. I'm just telling you right now. A new life will not go unnoticed. And you know the first person who'll notice a new life? is you not your wife not your husband not your children the first person that's going to notice a new life is going to be you but then those people closest to you they'll start noticing and even some other people who who are around you people who who are at work will start noticing and maybe somebody who hasn't seen you in a while will show up and they'll get around you and they'll be like man something's different now listen a, a person with a new life is not perfect but they will be different. When you get born again, you will be different than you have been. You will be different than you would have been. Me and my wife talk about this a lot. We think, what would our life have been 
If we hadn't intersected with Jesus and heard that gospel message and believed, what path we would have gone on from years from now. Now see, there's a lot of prideful people that think that'd have been all right without Jesus. I'm telling you right now, I'd have been a wreck without Jesus. I was already messing up. 23 years, I was already messing up my life. And I'm, I'm just telling you right now, I have no confidence whatsoever in my flesh that I would have turned out good, would have made any difference at all, except I would have made a mess of everything. Now notice Paul describes this testimony of a new life. Verse 17, look what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the first thing about a new life is, the testimony is, I am in Christ. But notice it's not automatic. Paul's been writing to these Christian people talking about all died and uh, if, we die, if we died with him, we should live for him. And he's talking to these people as believers. But then he throws this little word if in here in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. That's an important little word. If. Because, first off, everybody's not. Now remember, Paul's writing to the Sunday morning church group. If anyone's in Christ. So not if anyone's attending church. Not if anyone's been baptized. Not if anyone is a good person. If anyone is in Christ. So you can be in church and not be in Christ. There's preachers that got saved. After they became preachers because they realized they weren't in Christ. They had not truly repented and believed. Being in Christ is a Bible metaphor for salvation. When you believe, what happens is Jesus comes to live in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. But he also places you in the body of Christ, in Christ. He says not only are you in Christ, but he says you're a new creation. Look at that verse. He says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's it, new life. And he's going to describe what that new life looks like. Here it is. He says the first thing is the old has passed away. Old things have passed away. What he's telling us there is God gives us a new standing. God gives us a new standing with him. Immediately your standing with God changes when you believe. Psalms 103.12 says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What does that verse mean? It means basically as far away as you can get it as your understanding goes, that's how far God removes our sins from us. And I want to tell you this morning, if you repent today and you may, your life may be a total train wreck right here and you repent today and you repent of your sins and you walk away and you say, God, forgive me. God's never going to bring that back up again. The devil will bring it up. Other people will bring it up. Your old flesh will bring it up. But God's not going to bring it up again. Why? Because he separated you as far as the east is from the west. He's put those sins under the blood of Jesus. And he's not counting them against you. That's that verse we read. He's not imputing, not in counting our old sins against us. Thank God. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, it's a reminder of what he did to separate us from our sins. Was that he put those sins under the blood of Jesus. God gives us a new standing and he gives us a new start. God gives us a new heart. There's something about us that changes. You don't even understand it all when you get saved. But what happens is there's a new nature that comes to live within you. The Bible says this. The nature of God comes to live within you. The Holy Spirit 
imparts the nature of God in you. I've been praying a verse of scripture for several people. And Ezekiel prayed this. This is a prophecy. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. It's a prophecy about what God's going to do for Israel in the future. But what he does for us today as Christians. Look what it says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. You need that? I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. That means that hard heart. I'm going to take that old hard heart out of you. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. A heart that's sensitive to me. A person who is stiff-necked and hard-hearted towards God has never had an encounter with God. Because God is the first person who's ever done a heart transplant. And he will give you a new heart. And somebody that's hard-hearted and stiff-necked towards God needs God to reach into that heart and pull that spiritual heart out of them and give them a heart that's sensitive. I will put my spirit within you. I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God's going to change you. You're going to want to do God's will. You're going to be, you're going to be heartbroken when you violate God's will. You're going to be sensitive to what God says and you're going to be ashamed of yourself when you're not. Paul says the old has gone and the new has come. And while we still live in this body and sin is still present with us, there's also that new nature that God gives us. It's an amazing thing to have a new heart and a new start. The world begins to look differently. You look at people differently. In fact, Paul talks about this very thing. Back back up in verse 16. Here's an example of being a new person. Look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. What does that mean? He said, well, we used to know Jesus just with human flesh, human thinking. In our human mind, in our human heart, we we knew Jesus. Listen, there's a lot of people that know Jesus that way. They know Jesus. They've been in church. They've come to church. They know Jesus through the flesh, not through the spirit. But notice what he said before that. He says, from now on, we regard no one. He's talking about other people. We regard no one according to the flesh. What he's saying is this. When we got saved, we stopped looking at people as by their race, by their gender, by their economic status, by their politics. We don't look at people that way anymore. Oh, we see those things. We're not saying we don't recognize this person is Asian and this person is European or this person is rich and this person is poor. We see all that. But we know this. Jesus created those people. And God loves those people. And Jesus shed the same blood for them as he did for me. And I'm surprised. I'm kind of surprised by how some of us act about lost people. Some of us go to work and we we deal with people that are hellions and we're shocked. Why in the world would you be shocked with somebody who doesn't have but a sin nature acts like a sinner? And so don't, don't stop loving them because they act like a sinner because they are. As a matter of fact, I have a harder problem with you acting like a sinner than I do them. Because you claim to be something they don't. You claim to have something they don't. 
So when you lie to me, I'm more ticked off about that than I am when they lie to me. As a matter of fact, I kind of expect them to. I'm kind of, I'm, I've kind of got it figured in. I got like a curve there. I got 10%. Of, he's going to lie to me. There's a good chance. I'll just add that to it. He's going to cuss. Okay. I just add it to it. I don't, were you offended by that? No, he's got to talk to God. He offended God, not me. And we're shocked when people act the way they act. But you act the way you act because you are what you are. Don't go out of here and hold it against people that don't have God's nature and you hold them to some standard. We're supposed to love those people because that's who we are without Jesus. I was reading Oswald Chambers yesterday and he talks about this very thing about you and I being the most surprised of all when we change. He says this, what is the proof that carnality, living by the flesh, living for self, what's proved that the old man is gone? Never deceive yourself. When carnality is gone, you will know it. It is the most real thing you can imagine. Listen to what he says. And God will see to it that you have a number of opportunities to prove to yourself the miracle of his grace. (laughs) Amen. The proof is in a very practical test. You will find yourself saying, if this had happened before, I would have had the spirit of resentment. Or I would have cussed. I'd have went out there and slammed the door. I'd have turned the table over. I'd have lied. Anybody resonate with that? You in church, don't lie. (laughs) If you ain't had that, if you ain't had that, you need to ask yourself why. Why Why haven't you ever looked back and said, if that had happened to me before, I would have responded totally different than I did now. And I don't even understand how I responded that way, except God helped me. He goes on to say this, and you will never cease to be the most amazed person on earth at what God has done for you on the inside. There was a young man who who we grew up with in school, and my brother Jack and him are real good friends, and he came over to see us this week, and he is buying a guitar for my brother. And I remember he came to hear me preach when I first started preaching. And we were, out, we were at church that night afterwards in the parking lot. And I, I, my memory, you know, I don't remember a lot of this stuff. But I remember he said this. He said, Donald, I just can't believe that you're preaching. <laughs> and I said, well, I can't believe it either, brother. <laughs> and I was still the most amazed of those two. I was more amazed than he was. That's the way it is. When God does something, you'll be the most amazed. See, God gives us a, uh, we're in Christ, we're a new creation, but there's something else about this, this um, new life. We're reconciled to God. Look at verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says we're all sinners. We're separated from God. Our sin separates us from God. And as a matter of fact, not only does it separate us, we're separated because we're naturally rebellious to God. We don't want God ruling over us. We don't naturally trust God. We don't want his authority over us. You know what evolution is? It's somebody who hated God and didn't want to stand before him at the end. So they try to eliminate him at the beginning. But you're going to stand before him at the end. He is the authority. But man doesn't want that. 
we naturally rebel against what God wants for us. We have a natural distrust of God. I don't know if you had the prayer guide yesterday, the, this, this prayer guide that we have out there. If you didn't get one, go by and get one. Listen, listen to this prayer. This was the prayer from yesterday. We pray for those who have heard rumors about you, and yet they remain stone cold to your love. Some have been told that you are the source of their suffering. That's from the devil. Others are disappointed thinking you have failed to solve their problems. Reveal the majesty of your love along with the wisdom of your wrath against evil and the suffering of Jesus. Cause them to behold Jesus himself in all his mighty mercy. Let them see how their sin has brought sorrow to your heart. Grant them heartfelt humility to turn toward you. Receive them with joy. See, we're at war with God naturally. That's why we use God's name as a cuss word. That's why we use God's name when we're frustrated. God gets the brunt of all that. But you know what? God didn't start the war, but he sent Jesus to end it. God didn't start the rebellion, but he sent Jesus to reconcile us. Romans 5.10 says it this way. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I'm so glad that I got reconciled through Jesus. God acted, God spoke, God did all of it. All I did was sin. And then in that moment of great conviction, I just cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God reconciled me. My relationship with God has been made new, been made whole. Many of you have that, praise God. But there's the last thing I want to show you this morning before we wrap up. We've seen the possibility of a new life and the testimony of a new life, but I want you to see the responsibility of a new life. You see, with all God's gifts, there comes responsibility. Your life is a gift from God. There's a responsibility. Your children are a gift from God. There's a responsibility. Your spouse is a gift from God. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. There's responsibility. Your job, your health, your abilities, your skills. But I believe none more than this. When a Christian, when a person becomes a Christian and is given new life, they have a responsibility with that new life. And one of the greatest of those responsibilities is to help others find new life. Notice Paul says this, and I want to tell you this morning, if, you're, if you have new life, you're in the ministry. But we say, well, preacher, when did you go into the ministry? Actually, I went into the ministry when I got saved. I just didn't know it. So maybe you didn't know, and I'm telling you today. So you'll be caught up. Look at verse 18 again. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Have you been reconciled? If you've been reconciled with God, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. This isn't reconciliation like we're going to have racial reconciliation. We're going to have national reconciliation. We're going to reconcile the Democrats and the Republicans. Good luck with that. (laughs) No, it's not that. And I'm all for that. We need racial reconciliation. We need this. But that's not our ministry. Our ministry isn't to reconcile the nations. Our ministry is to reconcile God and man. To get men to see they need God. To get men to see that the greatest need in their life is a relationship with Jesus. 
God gives us the ministry of reconciliation, but to do that, he gave us the message of reconciliation. At the end of verse 19, he says, and he has committed to us the word or the message of reconciliation. That message, that word is that God reconciles man only through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. He says that God was in Christ reconciling the world. Notice he didn't say God was in church reconciling the world. God was in baptism reconciling the world. God was in good works reconciling the world. God was in Christ reconciling the world. And by the way, this is why we believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. God's not in Buddha reconciling the world, in Islam reconciling the world. He's not in universalism reconciling the world. Some man told me on an airplane one time that this verse meant everybody was going to heaven regardless in the end I said really well the Bible says God requires all men everywhere to repent God commands all men everywhere to repent Acts 17 30 if all men need to repent that's because all men need to believe and all men need to believe because they need to be saved It is the message that Christ died for us. He rose again. He took our place. He was our substitute on that cross. That's what verse 21 is about. For he made him who knew no sin. We read it earlier to be sin for us. Jesus was was, uh, our substitute. He took our sins on the cross. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. There is one. And his name is Jesus. God is reconciling the world through him, and we are his ambassadors. You might not have thought of yourself having such a high position. You are his ambassadors. Look what he says in verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for him. The United States, every nation has ambassadors. They go to other nations and they live there and they represent the government or the king or the, the president back. Our ambassadors represent the president. That ambassador is not to get up one morning and say, I'm going to go in here and talk to these people. I'm going to tell them some new ideas I had. Some things I think will work. That ambassador is getting on that phone with the president. What is your message for this country today, sir? You and I are not to come up with new ideas, how the world can be better. Our message is the same old message. That old, old story about a Savior came from glory. Our message to tell men. The simple message I shared with Ian standing out in the dark was that Jesus loved him. And that he demonstrated his own love and that while he was a sinner, Christ died for him. And Christ rose again that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're his ambassadors. And this is the most amazing part of the verse to me. Listen. Now then we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. As though God himself were pleading through us. When you and I tell someone and we ask someone to believe, we encourage someone to be saved, God himself is pleading through us to this lost and dying world. Today, I want to implore you, if you've never been saved, just like Paul says here, we implore you, be reconciled to God. 
If you acknowledge today that there's never been a time when you've repented and believed, the Bible says to turn from your sin, to say, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross and rose again. I want this new life. I want this new start. I repent and I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life, Jesus, and make me new. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's some of you here today. You're a Christian. And you're walking a guilty distance from God. And I urge you to turn back. I urge you to come back. I urge you to humble yourself. Stop using your excuses. Stop making uh, somebody else your problem. Your reason you're far from God is because you are not close to God. That's why. Your reason for being in the, in the foreign country is like the particle sun. You went to the foreign country. But just like that prodigal son, you can come home. Whatever God's spoken to you about today, we're going to be here to pray for you. Just a moment, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. You need to pray about some things, confess some sin. The Bible says that we're not to take that Lord's Supper lightly. Whatever it is in your life, there's other decisions you need to make. You come today. Let God lead you, speaking to you. You have faith and you turn to him. Let's pray together this morning.